and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Today, I'm really fortunate to have as my guest a very good friend of mine who is a beauty visionary, editor, creative force, entrepreneur, who has been representing for Black girls her whole career. I'm pleased to welcome Tasha Turner, who is president of Beauty Beat New York City, to the show today. Welcome, Tasha. Hi, Corinne. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited for this. So am I. This is a long time coming. Can you give us your 30-second bio? My name is Tasha Turner. I have uh, been in the beauty game industry for over 20 years. Probably something no one knows is I started at Elite Runway. I booked um, runway models, and then I went on to magazines. And my first job in publishing was Town & Country magazine. I assisted both the beauty director as well as the accessories director. From there, I just thought I was too cool for Town & Country. So I went to Vibe. I worked at Vibe magazine for, I don't know, it was a really long time. And I was the beauty and accessories editor. And I'm the one who really started the actual department. Before me, there was no beauty and accessories editor. So I'm the one who bought all the jewelry, as well as the looks, as well as the makeup and all the ideas to the magazine. From there, I went to Essence Magazine and I worked there as well as InStyle Magazine. And then I branded out on my own and I started Beauty Beat Box, number one. And then we went to Beauty NYC where we did college tours and consumer insights for a lot of the brands. I just recently worked with Sunday to Sunday. It is a brand out of J&J. I helped create products for them as well as the marketing and consumer insights for them. And can't wait to discuss with you the other things that we're doing for Beauty NYC. So hopefully that was 30 seconds. And um, that's who I am. I'm Tasha Turner. Uh, Nobody sticks to 30 seconds because that is a really (laughs) unrealistic expectation. But it is your brief bio. And I loved hearing that you pioneered a couple of things in your career that are really exciting. And we're going to get into that. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? The beauty industry was a pleasant surprise for me. If I'm answering your question, it was my destination. I just didn't know it was supposed to be my destination until I got into it. I originally thought I'd work in fashion. Of course, that's why I was at Elite Runway and I was going to go knee deep in fashion and, you know, be in accessories at town and country. And that's where I originally thought that I would be. But the more I did a deep dive in beauty, there's no way you can be in publications, work in beauty and not um, do a deep dive. So The more I dove into beauty, the more I knew that beauty was where I was supposed to be. Just being a Black woman, period, you wake up thinking about beauty. You know, I wake up thinking about what I'm going to do with my hair today. And I go to sleep thinking, let me put this scarf on my hair today, you know, and, and all the other things that go with it. So it was just in my soul to work in beauty. So beauty was my destination. I love that. And I think that that is really true. You wake up in the morning and you're thinking about beauty and you go to bed (laughs) thinking about beauty. Tell me about how you got your first job. You said Elite Runway was your first job. How'd you go about getting that job? God, I have no idea. I can't even tell you why they hired me. I was doing a program at FIT and I looked on the job board just to see you know, what kind of jobs they have out there. And I saw this, I don't even think it said Elite Runway. I was so green, I didn't know about Elite Runway, not in that way. I knew there was a modeling agency, but that's the most I knew. And they were looking for a booker. I had the audacity to apply for it. No knowledge of booking, negotiating, money, or anything like that. And I guess I impressed them enough where they gave me the job. I booked models for Elite Runway when Naomi and Cindy and Tammy Ford, uh, they were all models at Elite Runway. And they put me on the booking table and I literally had to, I was trial by fire. 
You learned to book, you learned to negotiate rates, you learned whose rate was what, you learned to hustle it, you learned to go out there and get those jobs, you learned to be a salesperson for those models. And that's what I did for a whole year. I worked with Rishamba, I worked with all of these iconic legends that I didn't even know at that time being so green that they were legends. I knew that they were something, but legends, no. So I worked at Elite Runway until they pushed me up out of there. Let's talk about your transition to editorial. How did that happen? Oh, you're always talking to magazines. You're always on the phone or you're networking. I remember going to literally the first, not the first hot one, but the first Victoria's Secret show. And we booked all of the models on the show. So we were there knee deep. And James Brown was the, <laughs> the headliner. James Brown at the Victoria's Secret show. He did the first party. And you can reference me. You can fact check this. He did the first party there. So we were all backstage. And, you know, not only the bookers were there, but we also, of course, magazines were there. And I just befriended a whole bunch of people. And when I needed a job, someone, a friend of a friend of a friend said, look, Town and Country is looking for an assistant. Would you be interested? And I thought then Town and Country, they'll never hire a Black girl, but I was taught never to turn an interview down. And I went on the interview and I met with both the accessories team there as well as the beauty teams there. And hence, they hired me. So you were the first Black person in editorial at Town and Country. Is that correct? Um, Unless there was someone before me, I don't think so. Yeah, I was the first and the only one there. And what was that like? You know, there's something to be said about being a young girl and just wanting to learn the industry. There's two things to be said. I can say that Town & Country was one of the best jobs I had in learning how to be an editor. I was the only one there, so I didn't go through a whole bunch of stuff that a lot of the kids now have to go through or they went through. But I also knew in my head that I was never, ever, ever going to end up at Town & Country. So I was learning them just as they was learning me, and I was taken from them just as they was taken from me. It was the quintessential place to, if you were going to be an editor, then it was top of the line. And I came from elite. And who wouldn't be at the top? Of course, I'd be at elite, town and country. So it just went in line for me. My heart spoke to me and told me, and I knew this is not where I'm going to end up because this is boring as all hell. Expensive. I literally do everything from pulling the jewelry for all of the shoots. And sometimes I'd have million dollar rings on my desk to literally speaking to every beauty brand known to man because everyone wanted to be in this book. So unbeknownst to me at the time, I was building my network without having to try so hard. And once I felt that, all right, I've done this. This is okay. But I want to be someplace cool. I remember contacting someone at Vibe just to say I work there. Like, how dare I? And begged them to to get, I begged Wilbur to give me a job. And uh, he looked at me and said, you don't know anything about urban culture. And I was like, yeah, I do, I do, I do, I do. I was coming from town and country. So I had, you know, my sheep dress on and I was all proper. He's like, no, there's no way. So I was the only black one. So they would literally introduce me to everybody that came through the door. Literally everyone. And it's probably because they wanted them to see that there was one black face here. So I was being introduced to people that I probably, if I was just a regular assistant, I wouldn't have any business. No one would tramp them around to my desk to say, hey, and say hi to Tasha. So I was there, but I was there without the anticipation of ever growing at Town & Country. So for me, it was a learning experience on just how to be an editor. What are the nuances of editing and why? Because I knew in the back of my head, I'm not going to be here. I just need to know the tricks of the trade. And that's what I got from town and country. And that's why it was good for me. And it sounds like it was almost like graduate school in a little way. 
You're learning something, knowing that you're not going to stay. What was interesting about the recent article that many people have read in the Daily Beast about systemic racism at Town & Country is that there was an instance of someone, a brother who had been at Town & Country for like 10 years or something like that. So he was hoping to grow within the organization. You saw it just as a stepping stone and nice thing to have on your resume and you carried on. Tell me about the culture shock, though, and the cultural shift that you had to make from town and country to vibe. And then secondly, let's talk about creating the aesthetic for that Black girl at Vibe. Good question. The aesthetic at town and country, most of the time where I worked at corporate, it was what I knew. You know, I'll start at town and country and then I'll move to Vibe. So it wasn't one of those that this was a shock to me. I knew when I worked with all white people and no one of color was going to be there. I knew what to expect. Now, I was not treated bad at town and country. Pamela Fiore was nothing but uh, top of the line. She was very classy. She It was very inclusive, but she included her whole staff in everything that she did. So I was never not included. Knowing, though, that I was the only one, my expectations were completely different because I wasn't in it to be in it. Now, unlike the young man in the article, if I was there for 10 years, oh, I'm sure there'd be a whole list of things that I could name. Now, when I went over to Vibe, I mean, this was my happy place. This was the thing that I knew. I grew up that girl, you know? So when I got to Vibe, I literally begged Emil Wilbekin for the job. Um, just I had to convince him, particularly from coming from town and country, that I knew urban culture. You know, I'd say, no, I do know, I do know, I do know. I was 20 years old. So, you know, of course I knew urban culture. And he's like, no, not coming from town and country. You probably don't. And I was like, I promise you. So he gave me the job. I was beauty and accessories editor. Again, that was God who drops that in a young girl's lap. And was told, look, if you can make these departments sing, if we can get our ad dollars from this, if you can make these two viable sections in the magazine, you can stick with this job. Um, Needless to say, many years later, after being there, I did. I was the one that would bring, um, and it was during the time when the sort of, you know, entertainers were looked at in a different light. So... Every jeweler in the world wanted to be sure that their jewelry was on Little Kim or Mary J. Blige. And I was there for that. And also was there to let them know, you know, not just to the jewelers, to edit that, to say, no, you know, Urban, we don't wear this. We don't want the pearls or we don't want that, you know, this, but that pave ring is dope. We want that, that, and that. And I'd literally be there to edit those selections. So that way, when we showed up to the shoot, those are the things that Kim's and the Mary's and the and the whoever's of the world would flock to. Also showing the consumer beauty. You know, there's things that in our culture that we take it for granted because this is just what we did and just what we do. I grew up going to the hair salon every two weeks. And in that salon, not only did I get my hair done, but I may have gotten my nails done too on the same day and blah, blah, blah. So those are the things that we did. And those are the things that you see the nuances with the girls with their names in their nails and all those things. You didn't see that in magazines then. Those are things that they wouldn't put in magazines. Everything was so straight laced that... If it was going to be in vibe, it had to be different and it had to be new. And no, I don't want to see the same pink nail that I see in town and country. But, you know, what are the girls on the streets doing that we can show this is who we are and why we are? And that was the reason why that job was so exciting. And that's why I loved it, because I was able to bring those things to the forefront. And it was a nail story that is the first time I ever heard Tasha Turner's name, that I saw your name in Vibe. It was a dope nail story because as you're talking about working at a general market magazine, which I did, I mean, first of all, there very rarely were nail stories because it was beige and pink <laughs> for the most part. There were no long nails. There was no design. There was no like va 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 boom. And I just remember an image that you created that was so dramatic, but so emblematic of Black girls. 
And I just loved it. And I was like, who did this? And it was Tasha Turner. Every editor has their love of whatever their beat is. And in, in beauty, when it came to vibe, hair was my thing. But most of the girls coming in, particularly the celebrities coming in, they already knew what their hair was going to be. Um, so I could get real creative on nails. I loved nails. I may have not done the crazy nails, but I loved seeing nails on people. Even if I was just walking down the street, I'd say, oh, can I see your nails? Oh my God, that's great. Look at those nails. It was my thing. So I started working with like Bernadette. I was always in awe of what she did. Bernadette Thompson. She did the money nails on little Kim and I was like, bow down, Bernadette, Bernadette, Bernadette. But then I started, you know, I bumped into other great nail creatives of like creative nail design. Used to work with this person, this guy named Tom Bacek. Tom, I'm hoping I'm saying your name right. But Tom would create the, the dopest nails. Well, I had to ask him one day, Tom, did you grow up urban? Where'd you grow up? Because the nails that he was producing was so amazing. Like I was down in Vegas with them and they were showing me all the crazy nails. So nails were my thing. So that's so funny that you remember that one of the stories being nails because I still love nails. And it's one of the small things about beauty. It's like our accessory. If you see any black girl on the street, any woman of color, any urban girl, if she doesn't do anything else, you know, outside of her hair, her nails are always done. And I love that about her. Yeah. In that, just understanding and representing for the black girl and the black woman and that black girl, that urban girl, showing that she is the creator of style, that Vibe was one of the first places that did that. And from a beauty perspective, then you created those images because it was very different from what Essence was doing. Essence was also doing an important thing, but it was kind of showing the totality of Black women. But this was a very specific. There's that girl at Vibe that's going to go for it. She's the girl, maybe now if I described her, you know, she may have the blue hair. She may have the pink hair with the nails to match with the sneaker to match, with the sock to match. And she puts it together such in a way where you can't stop looking at her. Not that she looks crazy, but you like, oh my gosh, the way she thinks is so on it. Her tattoo may even match who she is. You know, she makes sure that she wears short sleeves just so you can catch the color on the tattoo that may catch the color that's on her eyes, that may catch the color that's on her sneaker, that may catch the color that's on her nails. And I've always been into the details. And it's those details that makes me appreciate that girl. Now, the woman at Essence has a completely different aesthetic just because she may be my mom going to work. Not that she doesn't catch a piece of it, but she's not doing it all at the same time. She may wear just a little colored liner. She may wear just a bit of color on that mascara, but she's not going in deep like that one and like the girl at Vibe. And, you know, this woman has to go to work and she's working full time and she may be the president of the corporation or she may be, you know, senior partner or what have you. So when I went to Essence, just as the accessories editor, I got a really quick lesson on the different aesthetics between Vibe and Essence and how I should shop for her. She still wanted style. But guys, you can kill me if you want. She didn't have as much fun as that girl at Bob did. But you also work in style specials. So talk about big names on your resume. You've done them. Tell me about that experience of working at in style specials. That experience was a completely different experience for me. That's where I learned that I was a person of color working at a magazine. I didn't have those experiences before working out of magazines. I figured if you hired Tasha Turner, you knew what you was going to get. I was always that Black girl, um, whether I was in accessories, whether I was in beauty, and I brought that aesthetic to it. And not that I thought that I was going to bring that full aesthetic to in-style specials. And specials really was the makeover issues as well as the wedding issues. So they hired me because they knew that I had an aesthetic for detail when it came to the consumer and how to bring that to those pages. So that's why I came to InStyle. What I learned was that they were not so free 
to include those things in their pages. If we got a Beyonce on the page, they met their quota. You know, there was no way that we were going to do Beyonce. And uh, there was one black woman they always would put on it. And I can't, Frenchie from the Jamie Foxx show. I can't remember her name. They, Garcelle. Garcelle, yes. She was like their go-to. Um, and I'd say, oh, there's all these new girls coming out. You know, maybe we can push it up. And the most I could get was Beyonce. And, you know, that really taught me a lesson in working at a general market magazine and how far they were willing to go. And I realized they're not really willing to go so far. And I worked there for a year and a half. And I'd go down because it was all in time. Make I'd beg Essence to take me back. What I've learned is that if you're going to be in creative, it has to be the thing that fuels you because it's creative. So it has to be the thing that makes you get up in the morning. Even if it's three in the morning, it's you want it to be the thing that gets you excited. And if you're not excited, then you're pushing papers or you're doing it just because you're doing it. And I do what I do and I did what I did. Um, because I was excited for it. I can come to work and say, oh, you didn't like that? I love that. That was so dope. So when I was at install and I learned that there wasn't that much, I can't push you know, the meter on and the consumer really wants just a pink blush and you know, let's stick to pink nails because it's wedding. Then I learned where my passion lied and what's the thing that fueled me. And also where I would work again and where I wouldn't work again. So I knew that general market probably wasn't for me. And, you know, the thing with when I was in that industry at that time, everyone was pushing to be at general market. And I'd almost say to them, "Ooh, why? I loved being that black girl. Call it what it was. But there was a bit of excitement there that I could bring to the table that I couldn't bring anywhere else. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. Since most of my career was general market, and then I worked at Heart and Soul and Essence, I can say that the difference is when you work at general market, even if you can get, is that the experience is you always feel like the consumer is at an arm's distance, like they're really far away. You're creating a space between you and them. But when you're creating content for people who share the same experiences as you, it's an intimacy that can't be replicated in a general market stuff. Now, I will say like Refinery29, they created their like black vertical. L is kind of doing that, creating a black vertical now. But in order to do that, you have to create a space where there's comfort, there's familiarity, and there is intimacy. Otherwise, it just feels like that arm distance thing. You might get the picture right, but I don't feel like you're talking to me unless you can tell me or show me that we're sharing the same experiences in some way and have the same viewpoint on style too. Well, you know, I think now for these young girls, the narrative have changed. You know, some of the fights that we had to fight, they don't have to fight them anymore. And, you know, through social, through all these things, um, a whole new world is in everyone's face that most of the consumers, when we were doing it, they would only read the magazine. Now, it's not just the magazine, but it's the online, it's the social, it's the this. So they're seeing so many other things. So the fight that these editors are walking into the room now, they don't have the same fight. But we laid it out for them. We fought for them. You know, it was the fight like, no, 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 no. Can't just have Beyonce on the page because we're not all Beyonce's. You got to have one dark skinned girl in that room, too. She's beautiful. But here's some other beauties, too, that I think that should be on the page. The fight of even doing a braid story back in the day. Can you imagine being at L and wanting to do just a thing on braids or baby hair or all the things that I see now? 
those were fights. Those probably took you a year to convince that one editor to do the story. And then she finally said, okay, you can do that. And it's going to be half page and it's going to be this, blah, blah, blah. So their fights now, the beauty of it, um, no pun intended, is that they can just be. They see the beauty and they say, oh, this is great. This is what's going on in the community. Let's do these stories. And for any brand to feel like they're being authentic to the consumer, they run with it. Smart. I think, though, there are still fights in terms of still having to teach people about cultural appropriation. Yes. What we've seen before and what is new. What's the new twist? Like, we all know what the new twist is, but don't try to sell me something I've seen before as new. I do think there are still fights. I know that there's still fight. Well, I'm sorry, new girls. I didn't mean to say that you guys didn't have fights, but you know, I think some of their fights is just making sure that they bring it to the table. So where, you know, like anybody doing the doobie style or braids or blah, 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 they're bringing it to the table to make sure they say, no, she's not the first one to do it. We've been doing this since 12th grade and doing it in a way that's authentic, right? I think that's where... Some of the fights could be a great panel discussion that's done that, you know, there is a, a discussion with some of the <laughs> the legends in the room with the new girls to the room. I'm putting that out there, y'all. We're going to have a full discussion. I think that'd be great. And I also think that there are differences. And the other thing is because of all social justice reckoning that's happened in the wake of George Floyd, there's been all this editorial emphasis on Black-owned brands and Black models, even though recently there was a study that said that there was some fatigue, some allyship fatigue happening in terms of the visual representation of dark-skinned Black women from beauty brands. That's one. But the challenge is that I don't think that anybody wants to just pigeonhole what we do in terms of we create brands or images into roundups, you know, kind of like over here and say, oh, we all know the black bands and let's just kind of make a list and keep doing that where we should be in any story. Innovation. Why can't we be in an innovation story? That kind of thing. Not to say that we're not, but I think that that is one of the fights that has to be taken up right now. So that has to be the shift with the young girls that are in those positions now, not just creating the roundup stories, because that's what their editors are asking for. And they're like, oh, we got our black and we've done that. It's making sure that they take those innovation stories and adding that brand to it. It's taking whatever stories and, you know, you don't necessarily consciously always have to put black in it because I'm black. So black should be in there. But you want the best of the best of the best of the best. And there are a lot of brands, black, brown, green, blue, you know, indigenous, everyone. There's some great brands out there. You have to do your homework to make sure that you pick who the greatest ones are, and you serve them to your reader as such. And I think that's the work that the new crew has to be sure that they do. If not, then they will be stuck in the pigeonhole and these brands will be stuck in the pigeonhole of this is the top best black hair brands, the top best black skin brands. So, you know, you have to make sure that I'm speaking to you young girls. You have to be sure that you change the narrative, not just for the sake of black, but for the sake of who we are as a people. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Let's talk briefly about, you said you bake Essence to bring you back. And when you came back, that's when we had the opportunity to work together. One of the things we worked on, and I don't know if they have done prior to or since we left, was the special issues, the special hair issues that we did. <laughs> One of which is in the cover is in the Smithsonian, the National Museum of African American History and Culture. So that is something that, you know, our team can be proud of. And when you came back, you created, this is before the collapse and there was no advertising, an entire section in the magazine dedicated to hair. I was brought on as that hair girl. And like I said, every editor has their beat. And the editor at the time knew that that was what I loved and that hair was a billion dollar business. And Black women in hair, I mean, it just made perfect sense to have an entire section 
on hair. I was so proud of the hair section because number one, I just love hair. But number two, it was the most read section in the book when I was there. So woohoo! I laugh at the special issue hair. <laughs> you know, and it's so ironic that it would end up in the Smithsonian. Let me say it again, guys, the Smithsonian, because they laughed at us, both me and Corinne in the office, in the conference room, when we were creating it. It was one of those, you know, we got to do special issues. Of course, it has to be here because it's Black women, but ugh, no one will ever read this issue. No one wants this issue, but we're going to do it. I don't know who they were appeasing, but we did it. And let me just say, we did the damn thing where it ended up in the Smithsonian. So ha, 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 ha. I'm celebrating. I'm laughing at all the people who told me that it wasn't going to be anything. But I'm going to shout out Angela Burt Murray because first it was her idea. And secondly, she took me to a big corporate meeting where we talked about the concept. And I had created this whole lineup and stuff like that. And a big female executive at the time, Inc., told me I should just take in Styles concept and do it like that. After we left the meeting, we just all smiled and listened. And when we left the meeting, Angela turned to me and said, you will not do that. <laughs> you will do exactly what you planned. <laughs> of course. And keep it moving. <laughs> Who knows hair better than we do? Right. That was a uh, thank you, Angela, for that. After the time we worked together at Essence, you became an entrepreneur. Tell me what made you want to become an entrepreneur. There was a few aha moments. I was in a cab one day. I'm not sure if you were in the taxi, but it was me, Mickey, and a few other people. And we had to go to L'Oreal to speak on how to talk to the consumer, the African-American consumer. We are riding up to Times Square and there's a billboard with one of their brands on it. And the billboard that was on Times Square was one of the photographs, um, the hair looks that I created for Essence. And I didn't see it as such, you know, like, uh, oh my God, did you see that billboard? I did that because I didn't get any of the credit. And everyone in the taxi snickered because they were like, Tasha, you didn't create a side deal? Right. So that was one thing. I created something that ended up on a billboard that no one would ever know that I did. And Corinne, you watched me create many a shoot. So, you know, I go knee deep in when it comes to shoot. When I create, I create. Um, when I direct it, I direct it. So it's mine for real. Um, two, at the same time, we were walking into the doors to help someone talk to the AA consumer. So in my head, I'm like, look, if I can do that creative that's on the billboard and if I'm so interested that someone needs to bring me here every month to talk about how to talk to the consumer through their marketing, then I must be on to something. There was the audacity of thinking I was so dope. I can break out and do this on my own. Three, when we go to the Essence Fest, I'd see the millions of dollars that were being brought in and... I was literally waiting in someone's office to get all of my credentials to go and all of the brands and what they were spending, coupled with the knowledge that I have about the consumer, coupled with what I saw on that billboard. You know, brands would send me if there was a sister circle or if there was a mega fest, I was the one to go. And I was the one to go because I connected with the consumer. I could connect with her even on my worst day. I can sort it. It's just one of the things that I have. So in my head, if I had all of this, then I can connect with the consumer and I really know it for real. I can probably start my own thing. So I started with Beauty Box. Really, I had a Beauty Box and I had all of these extras that came with the box. If you want to do a box, then... Um, we can also give you consumer insights on what millennials do because we will go to college campuses and do all those things. From being on the college campuses, I learned that this is sort of where it is. I got all the young people in one beat. I didn't necessarily need to do a box, but I could create a program for brands to speak to 
young millennial and Gen Z women throughout the entire year. And it wasn't just about giving out products, but it was also, you know, using the influencers on the campuses um, and at top HBCUs across the country, from Howard to Hampton to FAMU to Texas Southern to Xavier. Like there was so many campuses that we worked with and students that we worked with that I thought there's something here. Number two, my love is just to help people. And once I got on there and my love for beauty and the love for me wanting to help, I realized, oh, I could really go in and show these girls how it's done, get them ready for their next, but also help brands at the same time. And that's what I was doing. That's the thing that fueled me. And what do you think, especially because you were particularly focused on HBCUs, what do you think that brands were and are missing about young Black consumers? Brands don't listen. Brands don't watch it. Brands are going there, which is the reason why they would then send me. But brands are going there for what they thought they could get, you know, the consumers to purchase. Um, What I think brands miss from that is that there is an entire culture, not just urban culture, because these Southern girls are a whole different beast when it comes to beauty. And I speak to beauty in particular and fashion, but when it comes to beauty, Southern girls are like no other. And I think brands are missing that. You know, I would tell brands, look, you are never on their campus. They are watching. They are seeing. These kids are smart. They support the ones that are supporting them, right? So you can't just come on campus and give away some product and think you got them for life. No, it's a commitment. And it's a commitment because they're looking to see who's going to fuel them, not just with their beauty needs, but also who's in their community. You know, so you did step one by just being in their camp, you in their community. What else are you going to do? So when we brought panels there, um, when we would pay the influencers to promote the product, like now you're bringing money in the community. You're not just using the community to fuel your needs. And if brands took the time out, and that takes time, it's not just a one semester, it's not just a launch sort of thing. It does take brands a moment to invest in that consumer so that way she becomes a consumer for life. And that's what they miss on those campus. This is where they're paying attention. This is where they're looking because not everyone speaks to them. Yeah, I think you got the nail on the head. And there's an opportunity now to even spread it wider if you're smart as a brand with virtual experiences, with virtual connections. But again, you would not be able to just go there and say, you know, like, here's a code for giveaway, here's a code, whatever you want to do to virtually connect product to them. But you still have to do the other steps that you're talking about in order to make an authentic connection. Just to get them to be real consumers, you know, I point out to them, like Noxima came on campus and those students went crazy. For, I mean, who would guess that anyone would go crazy for Noxima? And Noxima was there just to do an insights and they wanted to see, you know, how this brand rates for them. Most of the students were so invested because they said Noxima is always in their community, not just in their community, but my auntie has it. It's always in our house. So Those are the things that the consumer looks to. And they were impressed that they were on campus. I think, you know, they could have went a step further. You know, maybe it was a scholarship or maybe it was something else. But you have to be vested in the community to secure a consumer for life. You know, Black women are real particular about who they use and why they use them. They'll drop you like a dime if they don't feel that you are for them. When they hear that you are for them... Even if you're mediocre, they will still support you in some way. Yeah, that's really key insight. You were on the team that helped develop Sunday to Sunday. Talk to me a little bit about that experience. That was my first experience in creating products, like really creating products and creating them from insights. We created what the product would be what the product line from would be from the insights of how Black women treats their hair and how the cause and effect of 
working out, the cause and effect of what happens to your scalp when you don't treat your scalp. We don't wash our hair every week, every day. Some of us, if we have braids or, you know, if there's something else, we have a weave-in, we may not wash it for a whole month. So it really was finding products that could help with the care of your hair in between your style without messing up your style. And that was the first time that I got into really creating products with R&D and lab and everything else. So that was exciting for me. I loved it. Could you see yourself in like a corporate role doing something like that or doing consumer insights since you like both of those? Most definitely. I think with the influx of products that are out there now, the reason why products win is because they listen to their consumers. And that has a lot to do with the consumer insight. And you can't have consumer insight. You can't have one without the other, even if it's in a small way. You can't create a product for something or someone just because you like, oh, I think that's going to be great. No, you have to have the insight behind it in order for it to win because you have to speak to that person. And I also did that at Sunday to Sunday. I was also a part of the consumer education where not just I spoke to the lab, but um, the narrative behind these products, I'd help shape those. So that way, once the consumer read about it and once the consumer, you know, they looked on the back of the packaging or they looked online, they would understand why that product was for them. And because it was scalp care and it was so specific to scalp and hair and hydration, as it pertained to working out, they needed to hit it on the nose. And I think we did a good job. Yeah. Very impressive line. You're working on a new project now. Can you tell me a little bit about it? I know it hasn't launched yet, but Give us a sneak peek. I'm back into my college roots. Um, What I've learned through COVID and pandemic is that talking to a lot of the students, like, what do they do without the panel discussions that they were going to on a weekly basis or that guest professor that was, you know, in their classrooms or, you know, all the things that happen on campus. Now that campus is closed, how do they network? Most of the times you can't get a job without networking, but there's no place for them to network. So this is going to be very interesting. So what I've decided to do is come up with a virtual mentorship program where it's not just about mentoring and and bringing all of my friends from the industry to participate in this and to really mentor these kids with the cons and pros in whatever industry that they're in. But creating a network so these students have a place to go when it's time for them to get a job. I mean, for years now, we've gone on the the, the premise of I'll go to college. And when you're in college, you network, you go to panel discussions, you get names. You remember that lady who showed up at your such and such or the guest speaker or the what have you. And you walk away with that and you can usually take those things and get an internship or something. What do they do now if you don't live in New York or L.A., but you still want to be in the mix? What do they do? So we are creating the Beauty Bee virtual mentorship program that will not just allow students to listen to amazing women talk about not only their professions, but their highs and lows and how they got to where they are, but to really network and have some one-on-one time with these women and men. Um, So that way they can continue on even through COVID. I don't know how long this is going to go on. And even after COVID. I think that's really exciting and really, really needed. And you talk a lot about internships. Uh, You know, a lot of them have been unpaid, which makes them inaccessible to Black and brown women and men who cannot afford to give away their talents for free. So if you can find other routes to make connections and possibly find paid internships as a result and also find job opportunities, then that's the way to go. That is absolutely the way to go. So I'm really excited for you. And I think this program is going to be amazing. It's always been my goal to help. You know, I'm in beauty and, you know, I do it for profit. But this one, this particular project that I'm doing is really just out of my love for the next generation and where they can go. How do we find out more information about this? How can listeners find out more information about this? Go to um, Beauty Bee NYC and you can fill out the information. Click 
and um, we will send you everything you need for it, as well as the lineup of amazing mentors that we already have on board now. I can't wait to share it. So don't forget, go to beautybnyc.com, sign up for the information and we'll send it to you. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What was the first beauty product you ever purchased? Avon. They had a line called Tasha. You know that black girl in me was going to get the name Tasha. Tasha Perfume. I had the powder puff and the soap. (laughs) So Avon's Tasha was my first purchase and I loved it. I love it because we all love something with our name on it. What's the last beauty product you tried? You know that I love me a good old hydrating something. So serums. I literally try every single one known to man. If I turned this camera around, you'd be like, whoa. Right now, well, I went back to my Estee Lauder night serum just because I got lucky and got my hands back on it. Not that I tried that one. I've also just tried, um, there is a company called More, M-O-O-R. Well, I've been using their body cream. And then my good girlfriend, who is also a chemist, Nikita Wilson, has a body scrub. I don't know if it's out yet, but she gave me a sneak peek of it. And it's the best thing since sliced damn bread, like literally. It's my absolute favorite. So it's hydrating. It's everything that I look for. So those are my three tops. Perfect. What's the beauty advice you either live by or leave alone? Beauty for me is inside. If you're not feeling good, then it ain't no good. And even if you look amazing on the outside, if you're feeling shitty on the inside, then that's the top beauty advice. You got to work on yourself. Mental health is, I think, very important in this world for everyone. So That would be the one, you know, it's the thing I I teach my daughter. If you don't feel good inside, then that's the thing you work on. You can always buy an eyeliner. You can always put some gloss on. You can always put mascara on or put some lotion on. But if you're not feeling good on the inside, then that's where the work comes in. And that's where you put your time and money and efforts into. Smoky eye or false lashes? Cool, smoky eye. I ain't got time to fool with them lashes. (laughs) Give me a smoke. Yes, mascara all day long and some shadow. Who is your black beauty icon? I don't know. There's a few people. Iman. And Iman for many reasons. Iman, just not just because she's always just been gorgeous, but after meeting her, she's the nicest woman I know. She's tough. But she's the nicest woman I know. And a little side thing on Iman, when I worked at Vibe and I happened to be having a conversation with my editor at the time telling me, you know, it was like, well, Manolo Blahnik sent us some shoes, but they weren't the right shoes. Iman, just hearing that conversation, called the president of the company and said, did I just hear that you wouldn't loan shoes to Vibe? Do you know who we are? I have been a client for yours for over 20-something years. I will stop working with you if I learn that you don't work with him. From there on, I never had a problem with getting Manolo Blahniks ever again at Vibe Magazine. And it was because Iman stepped to the plate to make sure. I was just a small editor. I was not the editor that's always going to lunch with Iman or anything like that. She just overheard me talking to someone else and stepped in and made life much easier for me. And for that, it was a lesson for me because then I, in my head, I'm like, those are the things that I have to pay forward. I have to do that for someone else. But I never forgot it. Um, I worked with her many times after through Essence and, you know, all the other things. But it's the one thing that made me say, not only are you beautiful, but you stand for everything that we're supposed to be about. And actually, she's my icon. I'm sticking with her. I love that. That is a great story. I hadn't heard it before. Who gave you the best career advice and what was it? I can't say that I got it from one person. You know, I got pieces 
From a little bit of everyone. I was one of those girls in the room. Um, and it could be because I was raised in this way that when your elder speaks, you listen. I didn't care what and who I was in the industry at that time or how big or how cool or however I was. I just knew that when people are in the room, particularly elders, you listen. So I learned a lot from Susan Taylor. I learned a lot from um, Marsha Ann Gillespie. I learned a lot from Mickey Taylor. I learned a lot from Pamela Macklin. Corinne, I learned a lot from you. I've always been taught, be the fly on the wall. And in this industry, you could get lost if you get lost in it, if you understand what I'm saying. So the things that I got from different people, whether it be to let go and just have fun, whether it be, it's okay, stick with that. Look, working with the consumer works for you. That's your thing. Stick with that. Um, that's where you shine. You know, one time someone taught me, look, particularly being a young girl and creative, there are so many voices in your head telling you, this is dope. This ain't dope. That's whack. That's going to be, ooh, ooh, that's ugly. Da, 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 da. Someone had to say to me, look, when you walk away from it, it has to be the thing that you absolutely love. That way, when you're in a conference room, when you are in a room where you whatever, you can sell it because you know for sure that's what you believe. Actually, that is one of the best things that I got. Don't walk away from it until you believe in it. Yeah, that's a good place to end because not only believe in what you're doing, but believe in yourself. Yeah. You know, for the people out there, even for myself, sometimes it's easier said than done. But look, there's only one you. And I know there's only one me, particularly in this industry. I don't toot my own horn, so I'm going to do it for a moment. But yeah, there wasn't girls like me that lived for Black girls, that walked into the room, was that Black girl, and spoke for that Black girl. I did it from the beginning of my career. I do it now. I have a whole business because I believe in that girl, and I know what she brings to the table, be it money, be it style, be it whoever. I know what she brings to the table, and I'm her voice. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Tosh. This was a great conversation and a wonderful, you know, if you're early in your career and you were not around to see some of this stuff, get thee to a library, see some early editions of Vibe. And next time you're at the Smithsonian, check out our cover, but check out the work that Tasha Turner has done. And it continues to do because it is representative of the fierceness of Black girls. Thank you, Corinne. Thank you so much for having me. I love this. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 